Hi, Chris. How are you? Good afternoon, Ronnie. Yes, I'm well. Here we are on the 31st of August, and it's episode 83. And it's raining. To cover the weather off briefly, how is it in Swansea? It's also raining, and I apologise, I'm in a different location, and I haven't got access to my microphone. So if I sound a bit dodgy on the podcast, it's apologies, but we thought it was better to get you something rather than nothing. Unlike the time Chris did it in his car, I'm not as organised, so... The car one worked okay, and I think this will be the first time I probably sound better than you because I've got my microphone and my headphones on. So uh, we'll see how it goes, but you're sounding very good. And if you were just using the speakers and the mic on your MacBook, probably a good test because they say it came with some new, I think, five speaker array or five microphone array. So uh, good good in-the-field test, I think. It's a proper in-the-field test. Uh, and if it happens again that one of us is on assignment and forgets our microphone and this is good enough, being as we've effectively got the same laptop, I don't think it's a bad thing. No, that's true. It is true. I mean, the Apple quality laptops are really good now, aren't they? The speakers, the mic, so it's, they are great. Right, should we move into, into follow-up? Yeah, we should. We're going to say from the top, this will be a deliberately short show because we've got, we're going to do the preview next week of the Apple announcement. The dates have come out for the Apple announcement for the iPhone and other things that are coming in September, which is soon. So we're going to do previews next week and then we'll do the actual post-announcement stuff the week after and we'll just get into it then. Okay, so straight into follow-up then, what have we got? I got a thing working that you didn't. So your assignment for the last few weeks has, does the continuity camera work on your Apple TV and you haven't got it to work? I finished our podcast last week. I'd updated one of my Apple TVs to the iOS beta, as we talked about before, to get my HomeKit working. And I thought, oh, hang on, this is different. I've got another row of icons that fits on the Apple TV screen, which was new. And one of them was FaceTime. So I clicked on it and it said, do you want to use your camera? And I said, yes. And it just worked. Then you're doing better than me. I, I was thinking about this because I tried it again just before the show. My Apple TV box is hidden down behind a, an IKEA TV stand in essence. And I wonder if it's too far away to pick up my phone being near it. So what I will do after the show is I will move the TV box because I like to hide it out of the way. I don't really need to ever touch it or get access to it. But I will move it and try it again. What did you think of FaceTime on the Apple TV? I could see it being quite useful. But I only FaceTime a limited number of people. My children and you are, are, are pretty much it. So the fact that it will be built into other chat things, as we've talked about in this show before, that it might be embedded within Zoom potentially, and there could be an Apple TV app for that, or Teams, and you could use it in that way, that may actually become useful. If you're, if you're doing a team meeting with everybody, you can use it in those apps and not FaceTime, then it actually becomes quite a useful thing. Yeah, I think for me, I think they've announced it's WebEx and Zoom. I would like to see Microsoft Teams on there. If they pulled that off, and for me, I could, you know, I could be using my shed as a proper office and have an actual conference facility, and it'd be fantastic. So, I'm curious to see what they do with it. I do think though, the TVOS update this year for one that didn't get a lot of screen time, it's actually fantastic. The extra of icons is great. I think, you know, you can fit a lot more on the screen. Everything's just a little bit smaller. You've got the FaceTime piece. You've got the better control center up in the top right. I think it's fantastic, and I think it is a standout update this year because it's probably got the most noticeable changes, you know, visible changes to the actual core OS. Yeah, I remember when they updated the iPad OS to do the same thing, and we all got extra icons we could put in the dock, and it was such a big deal because the iPad felt like such wasted space. It's amazing how we think that's such a big upgrade that they've given us a little more, you know, a little more room and, and buttons to prod on our screens. But I agree with you, it is a quite a nice change. But, but I know when I come to update my children's iPads and iPhones and my wife's that they won't really notice any difference. Whereas actually the Apple TV, they've all noticed. Like, hmm, the Apple TV is a bit different because I've put it, I've put it on all of them. I think it's that good. Yeah, I, I am. It's amazing how minor the updates are to iOS and iPadOS. Actually, but, you know, there's some stability stuff there. But 
genuinely, I've, with the exception of offline maps, which I think is terrific and are used extensively in Canada, and I like the prompt. If you're going to a location where it knows this poor cell service, it will prompt you when you look, you should download offline maps for this location, which I think is terrific. Other than that, I genuinely don't remember what's different. I think the one that will get people will be interactive widgets. I think once we actually start seeing third-party developers bring us some interactive widgets, that will be interesting. I must confess, I don't use a huge amount of widgets because I use, use just have shortcuts to go into the app. So I think it's going to be an interesting Yeah, It will be. I mean, there's a lot of chats on the Mastodon-verse. I don't know what the... It's not the Twitter-verse anymore. Is it the X-verse? About the change in cables because the USB-C iPhone is coming and will there be hysteria or not about switching from lightning to the vast silent masses? You know, us as tech heads have been waiting for this for a long time. We can't wait for USB-C. Why is it taking so long? Blah, blah, blah. He, he, there, there is thoughts that actually that your your silent majority of people who use iPhones will go crazy about the fact they've got 15 lightning connectors in the house and now they've got to go USB-C. It's maybe a conversation we should save till next week. But I, I think that may be more impactful than than you know some of the apps, that, some of the changes to iOS 17. Yeah, quite possibly. They should just give everybody a MagSafe puck and move on, I think. Fair enough. Speaking of which, next line. Next line is on you, Bank of Dave. I think this is you. I've watched this and... Have you watched it? I assumed you put this in there. Oh, apologies to our listeners. I think we've got a rogue one in here, I think. I think we got um, some from last it, week, maybe, yeah. I watched it last week in media. It's fantastic. I still maintain it. I, I think I need to go away and watch the series on Channel 4. Like, didn't do your homework. Honest. That's that's what this is. I didn't do that homework because I watched another series, which we come to later, okay, so apologies. Fair enough. So next, next thing, then, is just in follow-up, we occasionally talk about smart home products, and there's a little, little item in the news about them as well. And I hadn't come across this. It's from a company called SwitchBot. And what the, what it is, is it's a curtain closer and opener that you can add to your matter or home network. So if you've got curtains and not blinds, you can actually set this to do it as well. And I just thought, it's not horribly expensive either. It's £85 and you can buy them in two and four packs. And I'm quite, I'm quite interested in this. I think I might try and pick one up because most of the house has got curtains in it somewhere. And I just think it's a cool looking little device that I'd never heard of before. It does look cool, my house. I think it has one pair of curtains. I'd be interested to see it because they're showing it in the video and it's got a track. I wonder whether it would work on if you have a pole for the curtain rail, if, if that makes sense. But it's quite good and that seems a reasonable price. Mm. I think for, for something. And it's amazing it's available in the UK because a, a lot of um, home automation usually isn't here in the UK yet because like, I guess we're too small a market. But um, no, it looks interesting. I'd love it if you've got one and we can have a look at it. Yeah, I'll see what I can do. It's not high on my list of things, but I just think as cool gadgets go, it crosses the divide from nerdery into home friendliness. So you never know, it might be an acceptable one. I just worry how will I be pulling pieces of material across a track or a pole. Um, there you go. As technology goes, it's not the best thing a curtain pole, is it? The way they bunch up and the little the, the hooks come off them, and it, it, it's not an ideal. There, there is improvements to be had, and I think the tracks are better. But we're on poles largely, so yeah, it's interesting. I keep giving it the side eye. Yeah, well, I keep looking at the garage door opener that I know you've already got, and I keep thinking I really should get one of those because that'd be awesome. And after all my troubles with it causing me problems, which were entirely down to HomeKit. It's been flawless again since. It's just worked every single time I've touched it. So I'm, I'm once again quite happy with my garage door owner. Yeah, everything upgraded to TVOS 17 and fixes all problems. Yeah, it's, it's magic bullet. Okay, what have we got next? Since we've got Zoom and getting more of its head. In front of the shot. This the, to the shotgun, okay. Yeah, that's my poor phrasing, really. Apparently, the Zoom CEO said this week that you can't build a trusted platform working remotely. And I just thought, really? 
Yeah, that's not a good look, is it? I mean, it's this eternal debate of being in the office, working from home. I think you and I both do hybrid, which I'm a big fan of. And I say it to my teams because I often get the question, Chris, are we going to all be back in the office soon? I'm like, no, I'm, if, if we can make hybrid work, let's keep making it work for all of us. I think it's important to come in once a week. I think that helps. We have that FaceTime with each, literal FaceTime with each other. But no, I'm not keen to do it five days a week. I think I think I don't want to go back to that because I think this is a better solution. But equally, I don't want people to be at home five days a week because I think it could be quite isolating and lonely. And you, you want to be part of the team and especially for new recruits. I find this bizarre for Zoom, though. This is not a good look, is it? Because surely you want to be really making remote working work amazingly and the Zoom is making that happen. And you should be your own case study, your own poster child or why hybrid working is working or fully remote is working. I can't add anything to what you just said. I 100% agree. I think every week Zoom takes another sort of tick in the get against box for why you'd want to use the product. And it doesn't mean I'm going to rush into anything else, but it's not looking good for Zoom particularly. And I know corporately we've invested in it quite significantly and we're not the only ones that is send us a zoom link you know you, you get send us a team's link for that it's it's become part of the culture but all this puts you off the culture that they're trying to they were trying to embed so yeah not great i just fear that we're going to go back to pre-covid views on this and you've got to be in to be working you can't possibly be working if you're not in the office and i i think hybrid is the right balance and i'm a big advocate of it I agree. Anyway, just on that, there are two other, I, I talked about Jitsi last week, which is an open source version of, of Zoom and Teams effectively for video conferencing that works quite well. There's also Matrix, which is the back end for a lots of other collaborative th things like Slack and, and things like Zoom for video conferencing. And one of the elements that built, is built on top of that is called Rocket Chat, which is well understood. It's a quite well adopted corporate product. They have customers like NASA make use of it as their back end and all the rest of it. So it's quite a big player in the game. And both of these are open source projects that you can either get them to host or host in on site if you want on-prem. So just to put out there, there are other things. It's not just about Zoom and Teams, which are the ones we talk about more than anything. There is actually more out there than that. And some of them are open and some of them are quite widely used. Yeah, no, it is interesting. But again, it's like getting critical mass to make it work. That's, that's the... That's the key, isn't it? Matrix is an interesting project because they've tried to make, in the same way as the Fediverse, that they've tried to make it a, a gateway that it can accept other things. So potentially Microsoft could make a, a public an API for it where they could go in and out of Matrix. So it's an interesting technology as well. It's not just purely for show, effectively. It's not they've not built their own thing. It's for other people to make use of. So interesting and worth a read looking at their URL for what they do. Yeah, and the, the Matrix, it's a nice website they've got there. I quite like the, like, slash your black and white. I think it looks quite cool. Yeah, neat. I think that's it for follow-up. Let's do it. Let's we get into news. Let's do it. So first story from The Verge and in my continual knocking of Microsoft, which I'm beginning, I'm going to have to have a week where I'm nice to Microsoft, I think. But this is just another example of the egregious abuse of their platform as far as I'm concerned. So journalist on The Verge noticed that Microsoft is using malware-like pop-ups in Windows 11 to get people to ditch Google. And if you look at the screenshots in The Verge article, there's one where he's on the desktop and he gets a pop-up in the bottom right, you know, a Bing pop-up in the taskbar on Windows 11, so over by the clock. And then actually in a game, the second pop-up pushed by the, the OS vendor. And that, as far as I'm concerned, is malware. You don't want these things happening while you're using your computer. No, it's very egregious, isn't it, to, to do that? I think that's horrible. I must confess, I recently set up a computer for my son, Windows 11, 
went to use edge on it and it's popping up asking about shopping websites and it can help me get discounts and adverts and i was like just turn all this off you're intruding what i'm doing i just the first run experience of a web browser was horrible they had a splash screen i had to go through next 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 lots of pop-ups very intrusive i don't want that i just want to turn the thing on and use it and it kind of reminds me of the old days where you'd buy a pc straight out of the box and it'd be just fooled with all the vendors craft that they put on it for one of a better word and it would slow it down and that was the appeal of the mac a long time ago and i thought windows had got into that world of you just turn on your mac and there's no extra stuff installed nothing's going to get in your face and microsoft had got there i think with windows 10 really well and it was really well respected whereas it does feel like we're taking a few steps back i think it's more than a few steps back this is it's not good enough that you do this you, somebody has bought the pc with 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 the license for the operating system on it and as you say, back in the day, Dell would give you, I think they called it crapware for want of a better word. You know, you called it cruft. It's probably a, a more politically friendly word than that. But that's what they used to call it. All the, you know, install AOL now, you know, try out this anti-spyware, do all this kind of stuff that was installed in dish, additionally. Remember phones used to come like that too, in, in America particularly. And Microsoft had got away from that. Windows 10, with the exception of the, I even forget what it was called, the, the sort of the tablet interface that would, would pop in where there were adverts for Microsoft products when you'd bring that up. It was free of these kinds of things. And just ever since the, sort of the tail end of the Windows 10 days, you would start to get that. You should really be on OneDrive for your own protection. You know, we talked about that last week as a potential route of, a, of, of ransomware attacks as well. But actually, even when you've selected it, like you said, you're going to go with Edge because you're quite happy with it, use it corporately. And they're still pushing you now, use it more, use it for shopping, use it for Copilot, use it for this, use it for that. If the Mac started doing this, I'd be on Linux tomorrow. I think the problem is Apple have done it a little bit with some of the services, haven't they? They've done it with Apple TV and music and in the settings app, you get the red badge to go, oh, you could have a free month of Apple Arcade or something. I do think Apple are going there a little bit, but it's it's not right. I don't want it. I just want to use my device. I want as little as possible getting in the way um, and popping up in a full screen game at some point. You all wonder, well, what else is running in the background to make this happen? I want this, all the performance in the game, please. I don't want anything happening in the background. Mm. Yeah, not, not a good user experience at all, this. No, I, I agree. And we're going to talk about another story involving Apple shortly. And I don't like the adverts on the phone, but they're not popping up generally while I'm in Safari doing a thing or in a game playing something on the phone. They're not intruding on the experience when I'm doing it other than you get the odd model when you first get the phone popping up going, have you thought about this or do that? And then they go away, to be fair. And I'm not making an excuse for Apple. Apple shouldn't do that either, really. I can understand first run experience, subscribe to iCloud because it's going to be much better for backing up your photos and all the rest of it, but then it goes away. And I don't mind Microsoft doing it once when you install the PC. But after you've said no, as you've said in that first run experience, you should never see it again. These, this was a computer somebody had been using for a while and it's popping up in their game. Just no. No, not going there. I don't want it. Yes. Yeah, we're, we are going through a bad phase at the moment, I think, where all the companies are trying to get more eyeballs and therefore pushing more and more ads. The same when you watch an Apple TV show or a Netflix show, you're just trying to push me something else. I want to watch the thing I'm watching. Yeah, there was yeah. a story on listening to ATP, Accidental Tech Podcast, about Casey Liss going to some cabin somewhere in an Airbnb and watching a thing and getting an advert to watch the thing he was already watching on another service. And that just blows my mind. I'm not surprised by it. I've seen it with Apple. They're showing me something I should watch. It's like, I've already seen that show. So why don't you have some smarts about it? At least show me something new. So, um, yeah, I think, I don't think we're in a good place. And even as much as Apple say they're trying to 
stop tracking and advertising. Yeah, sometimes not not covering glory, are they? Yeah, it's, not, it's definitely not an ideal situation. And speaking of not covering yourself in glory, I think let's turn our attention at the UK government for a little bit. So this next story, which we briefly touched on last week, has been coming for a long time. And the approach from this has been the UK government don't want end-to-end encryption in messaging services such as Signal or Telegram or particularly iMessage. And this is a story in 9to5Mac where they're taking this a step further and the UK government want to run security patches and update past them first before they're approved by Apple. And basically Apple's saying, well, we might need to think about stopping these products in the UK then if you're going to take that sort of approach. And this boggles my mind that any lawmaker can think this is an appropriate use of technology. What they're saying here is, we're already spying on you. We want to continue to spy on you by giving us that little break before you release a software update so we can make sure our spy, our, our government spyware, which is fine, works better than whatever else is going to be the company is protecting you from. It's appalling. Yeah, it's like we're not quite spying on you enough, so can we spy on you a little bit more, please? I hate all this. I think it's... It's horrific. The whole idea of end-to-end encryption is it's end-to-end encrypted. There's no back doors. You don't need to see me texting you to arrange a podcast or text my wife to say, well, what time are you going to be home tonight? Or whatever it might be. So stop it. I don't know. It's so frustrating, this. Why would you, as a company, stay in the UK if you can't protect your customers in the way that Apple try to do? And actually, even Microsoft and Google do as well. They push security updates as well. You're not going to get away from this on the Android side of the fence. You're not going to go away from this if you use Windows 11. But they push security updates all the time as well. You need to run all these things past the UK government? How, how is this technically going to work? It's not, is it? And is the UK government the right people to be technically running this stuff past? I'm a big fan of pushing out the security updates because I often find, you know, my enlarged family's phones or iPads, and they, even though they've got all the boxes ticked to install all the latest updates, they're still behind and I still have to install them and, and push them through. I want more of this because I want people to be on the latest and patched and secure as, as much as humanly possible. Yeah, it, it's just Even the, the, in the interview, they've got a linked interview to, into Gizmodo where they speak to the ex-head of MI5 and he's saying this is, this is the lesser evil the way we have it at the moment. Purposefully installing backdoors in the software. Is, is far worse for what you'd give access to the bad guys. Never mind the good guys, the bad guys. And frankly, the line between what's a good guy and a bad guy when you start talking of this level of observation of your population is really thin. Yeah, agreed. It's so infuriating. Just stop it. It's stupid. Stop it. <laughs> Do you reckon the government listen to our podcast? Almost certainly. Well, yeah, they do because they're spying on us. We just had that discussion <laughs> at the start. But whether how much attention they pay is another thing. Can't even imagine how much data they a process and b retain. Just how all that works. Well, it's mind blowing. It is, and you watch things like was it the born identity, the born supremacy, where they've got echelon and they know where all the people are as they move around Paddington Station and all that kind of stuff. And you'd sit there going science fiction, and now I'm thinking maybe it wasn't. <laughs> I think I need to go back and rewatch the born trilogy because I love that when it came out. And I wouldn't mind to go back and watch it. You know, a few years on, see how it stands up. Uh, they're great films. I don't remember the fourth one quite so well, and we'll skip over the one that the, was it Treadstone? What was the one with, oh gosh, that's terrible. The actor's name has left me. Jeremy Renner. And yeah, that was the fourth one, I think. Wasn't that it? was, but then, I, Matt, I, then Mac Damon came back and yeah. did like a fifth one or something. Yeah. Just called Jason Bourne the last one, wasn't it? I, I can't remember. Yeah, think, That's but, a big piece of homework, though. That is a big piece of homework. We, we, want, we want to sign it this time. We'll, we'll do it another time. Okay. 
Moving on, I just wanted to touch a little bit on CarPlay. Apple, two years ago now, presented a next-generation version of CarPlay, which we've talked about here on this podcast. It never really went anywhere. We've never heard any more about it. Ford occasionally have showed a thing. But this is just a little story that Porsche, 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 are implementing little bits of it through existing CarPlay to make it sort of look a little bit better. So these major improvements to CarPlay can be done by manufacturers as well as by Apple or waiting for people. So I think this is just very forward thinking by Porsche. Yeah, and this looks great. I want to see this app from BMW, please, because the BMW interface for adjusting the heat or the heat seats in my car and the temperature, it's just a bit slow. Why why can't it just be an app in CarPlay? It'd be fantastic. So I'd love to see it. And I always thought BMW would do something like this first because they seem to implement a lot more of CarPlay where I can have built on their cluster, where I can have the map on the cluster as well as on the main entertainment screen and do the directions in the heads-up display. But I fear BMW have fallen out of love with CarPlay and it feels like Porsche really showing what can be done with it. It's fantastic. The thing I like about this is Porsche is really VW. So if VW take this on on a more corporate level, you'll have this in VW, Seat, Skodas, Porsches, Bugattis. Am I missing one? Is that all of them? I think that's all of them. No, VW... You get Audi? And Audi, yeah, yeah. So it it seems to me that they're they're going all in on on, and presumably they'll do something similar in Android Auto as well. And that's what you want as a customer. It makes you look more favorably at a company if they su- support the device you've got in your hand and the one you're going to upgrade to next year or the year after that. I think this is a great move by Porsche, and I, I endorse this. Unlike you know General Motors, as we've talked about before, they're going all in on it and fair play. And uh, it's good. And Porsche did actually go back and release new head units to put back in really old Porsches that support CarPlay, you know, to go and put in your 80s Porsche or your 70s Porsche. So I think they are there. They are, they're doing the good, the right things, I think. I sadly don't have a Porsche. Though. Well, this is it. I mean, they are a premium manufacturer, and I think it shows respect for your customers that you support the devices they're likely to be carrying around with them a lot more than... The, and of course, if you have a Porsche, you're probably going to buy another one anyway. But this just makes the whole process a little bit more seamless for you, don't you? Yeah, the big question here, though, is when is CarPlay 2 coming? That's the question. As as discussed before, I think it's dependent on the manufacturers more than it is on Apple. They've put it out there, they've said we'd like to do this, and now the manufacturers need to support it. Yeah, but is it really out there? I mean, nobody's ever seen anything. I don't know, it just seems, seems a bit odd to me. Yeah. Anyway, we'll keep right. I think we will do a CarPlay special at some point. We've talked about that before. I think it's, it's definitely one for us to consider. Okay. Cool. There's a new iPhone color coming, apparently. We'll talk about this more next week. And the color is grey. Yeah, disappointed with this. I was just holding my white iPhone up to the screen because in certain lights, my phone looks grey. It's called silver is, is the official thing of it. Can we have some bright colours, please, on the Pro phones? Not everybody wants a bright colour, but at least give some options. You make four four or five phones, do half and half. Half black and white, half bright colours. They still seem to be doing these muddy sort of colours. It's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, I heard a, a theory around this, is that Apple got badly burnt with the G3 Mac Pro. That was the same color as the iMac. So it was the tower that was tinted the same color as the original iMacs. And they, because nobody bought them because it looked like a Fisher Price computer, they very quickly went gray with the G4 tower and then have stayed with sober colors on their pro line ever since. So it's a deliberate, conscious, like style guideline for Apple that they don't want to give flashy colors on the pro end of the market because pros won't buy a pink MacBook Pro. I'm disappointed with that because I keep looking at like the iPad minis and the cheap iPads and they get some really good colors. Why can't I have that on my Pro? I'd like a little splash of color. I mean, I'm in my office now, it's a white box, 
and I've got a gray screen with black bezels. I've got a gray iPad with some black bezels. I've got a gray laptop with some black bits on it. I've got a white slash grayish phone with some black bits on it. It's, it's a very muted palette unless you, for some reason, unless you go for the cheaper end. But I want the pro cameras, but I want a bit of color. So I'm a, I want a nice orange. Give me international orange on my phone. Done. I, I'm with you on this. I think there needs to be more color and pros would buy colorful things. They absolutely not, would. Not every pro, maybe not corporate yeah. offices, but give the choice. Yeah, you, you can make it available. You know, space gray remains a color in our lineup. Also, we've got these other things. So if you want to go for the corporate look, go for it. But I, I got to think there's the odd video editor out there or sound designer or somebody who uses the, the, you know those ends of a Mac Pro. Even analysts in my part of the world who would use MacBook Pros for carrying out data analysis, they wouldn't mind looking at a hot red laptop while they were sitting using it. It's not going to offend them. Uh, but I guess the problem you have in corporate land is you want everybody to have the same color, so there's no arguments. When somebody leaves and their laptop gets handed on, they've got a color for the next person that isn't egregious. But I think they should do it. But on that, Apple have now announced, obviously, the event. You touched on it at the top of the show. So it's on the 12th, um, and we're going to hopefully have new iPhones, maybe watches, maybe new cases, maybe some USB accessories. I don't think we really know what's coming, and we're going to talk a bit about it next week. But I'll put a link in the show notes for the event. But hopefully we see all the new colours, and hopefully this grey one is maybe a red herring. Maybe they've released some out there to smoke out some leakers. That's what I'm hoping. And I hope there will be some good colours. Yeah, well, we've had dull green and we've had light blue, and that's been as exciting as it's got, really. So grey's all right. Was there not a rumour of brown this year as well? They did do brown on the Beats headset, I think, but I'm not sure brown's come back around yet. Brown's never been a good colour. Do you remember the Zoom? I do remember the Zoom. It was not a great colour. It's not a great colour. On cars, it looks particularly bad. You don't see a lot of brown cars, do you? For a very good reason. For a very good reason. Hmm. You're equating it with other things. Good. Okay. That's that's helpful on the Apple events. And on that, there was actually new betas for iOS 17 pushed this week as well. Only one week after the after the last one. So that's beta 8 we're up to now on the developer betas, not on the public beta. And that's very indicative that we're very close to it. When the betas start coming with A's at the end of the designation, you know you're in, you're almost in release candidate version. So I don't think we'll see another beta now until we get the release candidate version. I suspect we're on the the final beta. We'll get a release candidate, not next week, but maybe you know just a couple of days before the event, and then we'll get the final version very close thereafter. Yeah, and they're so robust. I'm recording to you now on various betas and no major issues. I'm I'm really looking forward to more coming out because I think there are a few minor benefits in there for everybody, but they're really solid. Well, I'll be glad when we're close enough because it means Audio Hijack will be updated for Sonoma and I'll be able to put Sonoma on my Mac at last because for the first time ever, I've resisted putting the, the Mac OS beta on my Mac in beta season. I can't remember what's new on it. It's a bit like the iPhone conversation again. So um, I don't think you're missing out too much. Widgets, those interactive widgets you talked about, you can put them on your desktop. That was my memory of what you can do in Sonoma. Yes, I think that's about it, isn't it? That's, yeah. That probably is all it is. Yeah. I think there was more to it, but yeah. Okay, moving on. We talked about this at the time. The EU had passed the Digital Services Act and it was going to affect large vendors. And as of, well, earlier this week, 25th of August, any large vendor, such as Google, Facebook, Amazon, or others, must comply with legislation that holds online platforms legally accountable for the content posted to them. Apple will be affected by this too, but obviously your Googles and Facebooks are going to be far more in the limelight here. But that's it. So the Digital Services Act, live, I wonder who's ready for it. All those big tech brands, are they actually ready for the repercussions of it? I suspect probably not. 
think we're going to see anything off the back of this. This is going to be like GDPR. It's actually very quiet to begin with, but then starts kicking in down, you know, a year down the line. Well, we're not in the EU, so it won't affect us at all, obviously, <laughs> or America. But the fact that Amazon would be responsible, as we've talked about, for things like the donkey meat pills and all, all the things we've Amazon was responsible for, something, they'll be responsible for the content of what they're selling as well as what people are posting in terms of fake reviews and all that kind of stuff. I got to think it's going to improve the platform overall. Yeah, it can't be bad. And is it though just a matter of time until until we get until we get it? That's that's the question I've got. I hope so. I mean, I, I, without going off and completely one about the EU and things, it'd be quite nice to have clean rivers again if we had some of those rules still in place, wouldn't it, in the UK? But that's that's maybe another that's topic of another podcast. Yeah, that's no, fair. What's next? What's next? I put this one in for you about six months ago. I linked to a story where my Hue light bulbs, the maker of Hue Philips, had said they were going to go matter within that. And they're actually going to do it now. They're going to post a software update in the next two weeks from the looks of things that we will get matter support on Hue light bulbs. So, yay. Yay. So I think we're about a year behind with matter. I think it's had a very bumpy birth. It's out there now. I think it's going to need another year to fully bake. Is, is, is what I'm thinking. It's just, it's just. I don't know why. It's just been incredibly slow to get it out, incredibly flaky. But it's good. I think people are slowly coming around to it. But yeah, it just seems to have taken too long. Yeah, the dream of being able to turn on your Apple HomeKit light bulbs via your Amazon Echo device is nearly upon us. I just want everything in the home app. That's all I want. I love it. I've got my cameras up and I've bought devices so they appear in that app. I just want everything in one place. Well, you need your curtain openers and closers in there too now, so you know. Yeah, I'm nervous that they would work for a long period of time. <laughs> so. Brilliant. Okay, I think that's it for news unless you get anything else. No, I think that's it. It's largely quite quiet. I think we're starting to get towards yeah. September, October where it will kick off ready for the the holiday season. Yeah, we promised a quiet show and we'll do that. So very quickly in media, I did my homework or I did one part of my homework from last week. I went away after we talked last week and I watched The Founder on Netflix and it was very, very good. Michael Keaton's awesome, isn't he? It, they're all very good in that film, to be fair. It's yeah. it's a great story, well told, and its basis in reality definitely helps. What an amazing story of the two of the two bro McDonald's brothers who came up with the concept and Gave him probably not a great contract, but I think even if he'd had a great contract, he'd have still gone off and done his own thing. I don't think there's spoilers. This is corporate history. You can go and look it up. But yeah, great film, well told, good soundtrack, great acting. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you for the recommendation. I can't believe I didn't watch it when it came out. It's been out for, I don't know, six, seven, eight years. I mean, I had the whole pandemic when I could have watched it. And I didn't. I just always really well done. I genuinely enjoyed it. It was a quick two hours. I just thought stellar cast, good story, very tight script, I thought, to be fair. Yeah, what a great film. Yeah, I quite like that sort of retelling of a business. You know, we talked about the Blackberry movie before, you know, the founder, the, Ox the, oh gosh, the OxyContin story in America. I'll come back to me in a minute. It's re Reborn as Painkiller on Netflix. It was on Disney+. Plus. Dope sick. You know, th those stories about how products evolved or how they were met in the market and, and the people behind them make very compelling storytelling. Yeah, I love it. It's like the social network film. I thought it was fantastic just to watch it whilst I'm not a Facebook person. The film is amazing. And, you know, to be fair, one person got it all up and running and obviously they made a very big company off the back of it in a very short amount of time. So, no, that's my kind of film. Love it. So yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. The other thing I enjoyed is I finally finished Succession. I watched the last episode of that this week. I thoroughly enjoyed season four. I don't know how much to talk about without giving spoilers for listeners that haven't watched all of Succession. I quite like the outcome, though. 
I must say. I think they finished it well. For me, obviously quite a big surprise in one of the early episodes of season four, which I wasn't expecting. Quite like the big surprise. But equally, though, it I don't know if, if the middle episodes are a bit bit paddy because of it, if that makes sense. They, they weren't quite as funny. I, I agree. It was it was definitely missing a small something, you know, a, a couple of them, or a tension, a dramatic tension, perhaps. Uh, they finished it well, and uh, I think everybody got their just desserts, frankly. So I was pleased with the ending. Yeah, and I think that's the general consensus. Most people seem pleased with the ending because it's never easy to end a series. I know it's been going for four, four years, but it's hard and to put a satisfying end on it. In the back of my mind, I always thought Greg was going to come out on top just for some weird reason. But that is a spoiler. He doesn't even come out on top. I just thought it'd be funny how the guy in season one who was like smoking dope in his car and working at a theme park who's tangentially related would end up running at this show. But that, that, that was kind of something I thought might happen because he, he just kept hanging around and, and was always present. But no, I, th I thought they landed it really well. I hope they don't make any more because actually leave it where it is. You've done a great job. Stop now. And I, I actually want to go back and rewatch season four because I did enjoy it. Yeah, it, it was a great show. Like I say, once I wrapped my head around it and, and went with the premise and you have got to go with the premise, it's some quality television, premium television that I thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah, it's a proper HBO, isn't it? I love it. Yeah. yeah. And the last thing is there was a new drama series put out on BBC this week, actually, in the UK. So they showed the first episode on Sunday and then the second episode on Bank Holiday Monday, which they often do with a drama. It's six episodes long. It's called The Women in the Walls. It's set in Southern Ireland about the outcome of underage girls being made to give up their children by, well, the, the, the Catholic Church in Ireland at that point and a system they had called Laundries where they take these girls in, take their babies off them and make them work so effectively slave labour you know, while this was going, which is true to the best of my knowledge, but this is obviously dramatised for the purposes of this TV show. It's amazingly acted. It's beautifully scripted. It's a little bit too much in the way Idris Elba wander around and hijack going, I've got plenty of time to go and do this. The two police officers that are in this seem to spend a lot of time clearly not arresting the person they should be arresting and, and giving her too much ability to just trundle around and do things just so the story can happen, I guess. But, you know, the, the, the police are, have a certain amount of agency taken off them, but I am quite enjoying it. I think if you like a good drama and you can suspend your disbelief at the, I'm going to call it the Idris Elba factor from now on, or the hijack factor, it's really good. And it's a quality performance but by the lead actress there. Terrific. Give it a go if you like that kind of thing. It's quite serious with some quite funny lines. I can't think of the lady's name, but she because she was in the Book of Dust TV show as well, wasn't she? His Dark Materials, yeah. His Dark Materials, thank you. And I think she's fantastic. She's what a great actress. And her performance. I haven't seen this, but I've seen the advert. And I was a little interested, but, but if it's only six episodes, I might, I might be more interested to try it out. I, I I definitely think it's worth a go, and she she I mean it's a powerhouse performance that she puts in, and I'm gonna have to pull her name up because my memory is failing me, but it's worth watching because she's mesmerizing, absolutely mesmerizing. Bear with me, it's coming, it's coming. Ruth Wilson, who's also executive producer. Thank you. Sorry, the name was escaping me too. Yeah, but me having watched it, that's worse. She is very good in his dark materials. She's not Irish, but she has a terrific accent. As somebody who's half Irish, I can attest. Somebody who's entirely Irish may disagree with me, and that's fair enough. It also features the actor that was in Peaky Blinders and in Bad Sisters, who's a very handsome gentleman whose name I should also probably pull up just for just for completeness sake, Daryl McCormack. And there's a very good line in the show about, I was expecting a police officer, not a backstreet boy, because he, he, he is a handsome dude. So, you know, there is some good humour in quite a dark TV show. 
Okay, well, I must must watch that too then. Okay, there's lots going on the on the watch list. I have actually watched a couple of things. One was shown on Apple TV Plus, so free, and it's called Wanted: The Escape of Carlos Gosen. Have you heard of Carlos? No, I know the name, but I don't know why. So he used to be the CEO of Renault and Nissan at the same time. So a bit like Steve Jobs running Apple and Pixar. He's running two car companies, and they were working together anyway as part of an alliance. And he's basically this person that got brought into Renault to turn it around. It wasn't making any money. Um, and it, he sorted all that out and then ended up you know, building this alliance with Nissan and then ended up doing the same for Nissan. Great show. I remember it being in the news, but didn't really know much about him. But it's four episodes. It's a documentary with a little bit of acting, you know, and, and a bit of dramatization in the middle just, just to fill the narration so you've got something visual. But really well done. Kind of leaves you to wondering because it hasn't been wrapped up yet, the, the true outcome. But would definitely recommend a watch. I found it really interesting. I love some of these stories, but it kind of leaves enough open for you to make up your own mind, I guess, and go away and read up a bit more around him. But yeah, super interesting guy and really well done documentary. And then the documentary is done, I think, by the, the same team that did like the Amy Winehouse one. So really good quality. Hmm. Sounds interesting. And then I've also watched Driven on Amazon Prime, and this has got Jason Sudeikis in it, and it's all about the DeLorean. And there's obviously lots of people have heard about the DeLorean and all the various stories that went around, how they were trying to keep the company afloat and what a big flop the DeLorean was, and they were built in Ireland for some nefarious reason. It's an amazing TV show, but Jason Sudeikis felt like he's doing, he's trying out his Ted Lasso before he created Ted Lasso, because he plays the character with a moustache, who's quite a nice guy. And I could just see Ted Lasso, which was a bit of a shame for me. But I wonder if it was the precursor of him doing Ted Lasso, if I'm honest. But would would recommend it. It was definitely worth watching again. Going based upon real life. Not as good as the founder for me. But it's still pretty good to watch. And I didn't know that much about DeLorean, if I'm honest. Other than it's seen back to the future. That's very interesting. If you were to go on IMDb and you were to look for a film called Driven, I'm, I think, 11 responses so far and still going. So I think they needed probably a more descriptive title than just Driven. Yeah, the name is not fantastic. Yeah, including one with Sylvester Stallone, in, and uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. They should have just called it Back to DeLorean or something, and then everybody would have, would have known it. Ted, uh, Ted DeLorean, but, yeah. But but would recommend, I thought it was good. And again, it kind of follows the theme of watching semi-related business, real-life dramatizations. So I would recommend, but definitely not as good as The Founder. Fair enough. Good. And a very small game section. Do you want to give us an update on your Steam Deck? How's that going? Steam Deck is awesome. The strategy sale that I mentioned last week is now on. I've purchased a couple of older games on it. It's really good. So yeah, definitely would, would recommend people check it out. I've picked up a couple of old Age of Empires games and Command and Conquer 3 I've just tried out, which I've never played before. It hasn't aged terribly well. But I've just picked up a few things on there. I'm really enjoying it. I'm using it a lot actually with Bluetooth mouse and keyboard predominantly at the moment, but it's doing what I need. I can get rid of an aging laptop and I've got a system that's been up to date and I can use it here in my shed in my house on the USB-C. So it's living up to my expectations. My only comment would be the fans get a little noise on it because I'm used to Apple Silicon. But other than that, I think it's great and I'll keep reporting back at any new games I play. I'm glad you're enjoying it. And again, I'd, I'd say go back and look at some of my recommendations for it when I did my review as well. Things like Vampire Survivor, which isn't very expensive on Steam, but it's just, it's a really well done game that's perfect for that. When you don't want to plug your mouse and your keyboard in and you want to use the controls that are on there, I think it's one, one to check out. I think that I've got a desire at the moment to play mouse and keyboard games because I've been playing on my Switch quite a lot, my PlayStation, 
I've got a desire for some reason just to play some strategy games. I can't explain it. I'm just enjoying it at the moment. But no, the, the screen, the Switch, the Steam Deck is doing everything I thought it would do. It's really good. So I'm having a great time with it. It's a great bit of hardware, isn't it? And how much how much more sticky it seems to be already for you than your play date? Oh, 100%. And I'm enjoying playing some retro titles as well, I think. But no, it's very well done. I think, I think they've done a really good job of hiding the fact what OS is running on it. I don't even know. The interface, I think, is really good. The sheer quantity of buttons on the on, on the device is great. Fairly portable. It is bigger than I thought. That is the one thing. Every time I, I pick up the, the case that it's in, I'm reminded of how gargantuan it is. So, but no, I'm, I'm pleased I bought it. I don't I don't think I've wasted four hundred pounds on it. I think it was a good, the right amount of money to spend on the device. To get a lot of pleasure from. I agree, and it is a big device, and it's particularly compared to the Switch, it's a, it's a significantly bigger device, but I do think they've got the balance of it quite right. When you actually hold and you're not holding it in your hands, but when you hold it in your hands, it's nicely molded even for somebody with bigger or smaller hands. You can get your fingers and all the controls relatively easy. It doesn't feel ungainly when you're actually using it. You know, it feels like the right size for a device like that, with the right sort of ergonomics for a device like that. No, I would agree with, with what you said there. I think they have got it right. It is big, but actually when you hold it, it's very good. It just needs a kickstand. I think that is one thing they are missing, personally. But I guess it's designed more for being handheld, or you plug it in and, and put it down properly. Yeah, definitely. Good. Glad you're enjoying. I don't have much to add in games. I haven't had a chance this week to, to take in very many at all. But I've been casting an eye at Baldur's Gate 3. It's Dungeons & Dragons. Apparently, it's the best done Dungeons & Dragons. It's one of the highest rated games of all time on Metacritic. People are saying this is getting back to the way games used to be where you don't have to wait for the patch and it's not a live service and developers have taken their time to produce something quality from out the gate. You know, and yes, there are there will be patches, but it was playable on day one pretty much. It had a fairly long early access intro to it. But if you waited and you buy it now and it's 45 quid, you're actually getting serious value for money for what you get and it's sort of the truest representation of D&D. And it seems to have been received incredibly well. So I just, I quite like the look of Baldur's Gate 3. It's not, for me, normally that kind of game. I get bored of the, fa the fantasy realm quite quickly. But I just think for a quality game, I'm willing to take a punt. Did you ever play Baldur's Gate 2? Which also had rave reviews, did exceptionally well. So you haven't played that. I haven't played either, but I have some friends who I, who have played it. I was also a little interested in Baldur's Gate 3. It looked very good. Apart from thinking, actually, I might just go and get Baldur's Gate 2 because it's five pounds. I probably wouldn't play a huge amount. And like with Age of Empires, I think they've done some enhanced re-releases so you get slightly better graphics and, and quality there. So I was tempted by that, if I'm honest, just to try out and see if I like that that sort of world. Because like you, I, I don't play a lot of those games. Mm, yeah, interesting. So it's there. It's in the back of my head that maybe come Christmas, I'll if there's a decent sale on, I might pick it up then or or before. And it's interesting <laughs> they've they've managed to make a multiplayer game too. So yeah, interesting. Yeah, and no, it does look good. And there were some good games coming out, I think. Cool. Anything else in games? No, unless you want to hear about Command & Conquer and just re-downloaded Civ 6 to try out on the Steam Deck 2 and Age of Empires 1 and 2. So I'm going for all the retro classics. Fair enough. And I, I noticed Civ 6 was less than a fiver in the Steam strategy sale as well. So if you haven't got Civ, pick it up now for a fiver. The strategy sale is fantastic because there were some really, genuinely really good games. They may not have all the bleeding edge graphics, but you know what? For five quid, and you know they're going to run okay on the Steam Deck because the, the games are a few years old, but they've got some great gameplay mechanics on them. So I would definitely recommend checking out the sales on it. And I've added a bunch of games to my wish list, and I'll just keep an eye on when they drop on sale because to be fair to Steam, they're not taking 5% off. They're taking like 45% off or 95% off. So it, they generally do do a good sale from what I'm seeing. And runs on the Mac too. 
Some of them run on the Mac. Sims Civ Six runs on the Mac. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, Sims Six runs on the Mac. So yeah, that's good. And actually, I tried out Battle.net on the Mac and played StarCraft Remastered as well. <laughs> Picky on Remastered. But again, I forgot Battle.net runs on the Mac, and most of Blizzard's games historically run on the Mac. So I can go back and play some of those too. Fair enough. I think that's us for games. Let's do a very short main show where I'm gonna I'm gonna read a quote from Steve Trouton Smith, and Chris is gonna defend the iPad. I think so. There's been increasing issues, or people are noticing issues with the iPad. That you know, we're we're over a decade on now, and how little it's really changed. And I just thought this sort of captured quite well the feeling. So, the real tragedy of iPad is the vast gulf between how much potential it had as a platform and Apple's disinterest in letting it live up to that. It is easy to imagine an alternate universe where iPad grew up to outright replace desktop computing in all shapes and sizes, running powerful complex software good enough to supplant everything we used a Mac for. A modern do-over of the entire personal computing industry. Nobody looks at an iPhone and thinks, oh, this could be so much more. But iPad? I think it's a fair comment. I do agree with Steve Trout and Smith. And I really like the guy. I think he's very well A thought of and B, but I think he's very well thought out in how he comes across. Great developer. I don't disagree with the comment. And sometimes you do wonder, actually, what happens if Apple never did the iPad? What happens if Apple did what I think they thought they were going to do at one point was go all in on the iPad and actually let the Mac wither on the vine and imagine a world where they actually brought more functionality from the Mac over to the iPad, which they've been doing in bits and starts, but far too slowly. What would the world have looked like? Whereas we've ended up in Reality C, where we end up with both devices. And I don't think anyone is a true winner out of that scenario. So you had option A, where iPad doesn't exist and the Mac carries on forever. And I think would have been where it is now, maybe maybe even better. You have option B, where the iPad wins and the Mac goes away. And it would have taken a huge amount of engineering to do it, but not be on the realm, but also would have got, probably got rid of a lot of craft from the last 20, 30 years of what has become Mac OS. Option C, which is where we are, is they keep both going and they try and split the development effort on both. And some have obviously benefited from the other. And we've got great mouse support on the iPad, for example, networking and all of that. Whereas the Mac hasn't really got that much back from the iPad other than it can run some of the apps. That's the only really thing I think the Mac's taken from the iPad. Whereas if they actually didn't do an iPad, would they have actually done a touchscreen Mac? Would they have done pencil support on the Mac? Would they have done a tablet version of a Mac? And actually really gone to town on the Mac and done it all properly so that they are competing in those spaces. And the same could be said if they actually go, no, we're not going to develop the Mac anymore. We're going to put everything into the iPad. That is the future. We're really going to take this modern underpinnings and bring on the flexibility of macOS rather than trying to take macOS, which has got aged underpinnings, I guess, and try and enhance them, which is obviously what they end up doing. So I wonder whether Apple's actually been its worst enemy by trying to keep both platforms going. And we've all got an iPad and laptop. And I was drawing out some pros and cons to this. So I was thinking, well, what, what's the pros for the Mac? The OS is, is a big pro because it's so flexible and you can run lots of apps. Even though you've got the same chip in my Mac as I've got in my iPad, I can run more than four apps on the screen. I can close the lid on my Mac and still use one screen. The multitasking, obviously, we just discussed. I can have a higher spec laptop, obviously, a lot more RAM and all of that. And I can run any apps on it. And then I did the same thing for the iPad. I thought, oh, what's the pros for the iPad? And so, well, I can touch the screen. Massive tick. They could bring that to the Mac, and they should, because it's sometimes nice just to just tap the screen. I've got cellular on my iPad. That should definitely have come to the Mac. I don't know. That, there seems no technical reason why they haven't done that. We've also talked about the, the tablet, 
the flexibility of it. My iPad now is suspended on a small stand here. I can touch the screen. I can plug monitor in. Why do I have to have a keyboard and a mouse on my Mac laptop? Why can't I break it away? It would be great to do that. Pencil support. Would Apple have ever done pencil support for a Mac? Maybe. Who knows? Would we have ever got a nice drafting table that you could have an iMac where you put it down and you could draw on it like Microsoft did with the Surface? And then the other big pro I put in for the iPad was the App Store. I think actually there are a lot of benefits with the App Store on the iPad because the ecosystem is so much more advanced, I think, than a lot of what I get on, on the Mac. There are more apps on the iPad, some of which I use, whereas a lot of apps on the Mac are web-based apps in essence because not everybody will do a dedicated Mac app they will do a web app and it's so you can use it on windows or, or on the on the mac and that's kind of where i ended up of my two trails of thought i think the ipad is very good i love it it's great for me for work i'm quite quick on it i have one device i take everywhere and it just works straight away because it's got cellular in it but equally if the ipad went away i could easily go and use a mac but it is missing a lot of what the ipad does and i think would there ever come a time when they merge the two together there's been talk of it hasn't there and would I ever be able to buy a Mac that I could run in, I don't know, iPad mode and vice versa? Or am I going to end up with a phone that runs an iPad? And I, I don't know if Apple knows the answer yet of where this is going to go. What do you think? Yeah, I think you had me with a lot of those things. I'll, I'll come back to a couple of them until you talked about the App Store being a better thing. And I, I really disagree with you there. I think it's a different thing. The chances are you'll find an app that isn't a web app that does the thing you want to do extremely well on, on a Mac because you can go to GitHub and you can install it. You can write it yourself and have more flexibility. You can find a Linux thing that you can run a homebrew. And that's the crux of the difference between them is you've got an open computing platform which you can bend to your will and go over what Apple thinks is good enough to be for you to be able to put on the device. You can find a thing that either is from the developer that does what it says on the tin or has been made by somebody else to work in a different way to make use of their services. And that's truly the power of having an open computing platform with the focus that the Mac has had on it over the years. With the exception of maybe some of the windowing management, it's reliable, it's stable, it doesn't crash. You can install things from GitHub, you can build things yourself, you can go to the app, Mac App Store, you can go to a developer's website and download their version of it. You can install spyware and malware and you know and Steam stores and Blizzard and Activision stores and all this kind of stuff, and it will all just work and it will keep on ticking. That flexibility is why the Mac is where it is, really. That you know it has solid Unix underpinnings, which are the same as the iPads, you know, underneath it all, and it gives you that. And the world doesn't fall apart every single time I want to install something new on it or upgrade a package, or I don't have to wait for a beta update to have a slightly better calendar. I can choose a different calendar from a just different provider and I can get one and use it. It's not baked in the US. And the benefits of the iPad when the iPad came out were. You tap the screen and it was awake. I'd argue with our M-series computers now, we have that anyway. You open it up and it's good to go. So that microseconds, milliseconds, seconds hesitation as used to be is gone. And now that huge barrier between I opened it up and I'm off to the races is a major draw for the iPad. And when that went away and Apple... Yeah, you, you were right at the start. When they came out of the traps of the iPad, it was an interesting device with a lot going on to it. And I genuinely don't think we've moved it along. Could you imagine a world in which they'd allowed a self-supported virtualization platform where you've turned on your iPad and you went, oh, today I want it to be a Mac, and it fired up a virtual machine running Mac OS, which allowed the decent amount of I.O., maybe two USB-C ports on the side of the, of, of the iPad, to actually work in full mode as a virtualized thing? 
it becomes a productivity powerhouse. You can you want you that is the Mac you can take off the you know the, the the keyboard that you've got there, or you can plug a mouse into, or you can use your pencil for Mac OS and all the rest of it. And you could install stuff into that store if you wanted it to. Or it can be an iPad when you're in purely consumption mode or it's good enough to run the cut-down version of Outlook that Microsoft will give you on the iPad compared to the full-fat desktop version. You've got that too. So you can triage your emails. You can actually get proper work done. On it. Or they'd allowed that iPad side of it to do all these things anywhere where it did become a little more Mac-like and they did release a little bit of control and they might be looking at less regulation because it is running the same chip as the Mac and we know it can do more than four vaguely tiled windows next to each other. And that choice to deliberately cripple the iPad, because there's no getting away from it, that's what they've done. There's no reason you couldn't install Mac OS on, on that hardware at all. Some of the touch targets would be a bit small, but it would work. So I don't know if Steve, what would Steve do, have allowed it to get to this stage, although in some ways it is his ultimate expression of computing as an appliance. We've given it to you, we know what's best for you and all the rest of it. Maybe it wouldn't have changed, but I, deliberately, I, I think they've deliberately held the iPad back. And as I look at the evolution of the iPad Pro, it only becomes more obvious that the hardware is far more capable than the software. And the little evolutionary increments that the iPad gets year on year better widgets, we got a weather app, a bit of windowing, aren't good enough to justify its existence as a 1500 quid device over a 999 MacBook Air. And, and that's the real crux for me. There was a time when those benefits of I could turn it on and it was there. What was in the app store was good enough and interesting. We've, we've reached a point with the evolution of Apple Silicon that I don't think those things hold true anymore. And unless Apple do something with it, I think it's gonna wither on the vine for everything except a very casual you know, you're, we've talked a few times, I think you're in a fortunate position that you can do the bulk of your job, triaging your emails, doing all the things that you need to do with a web browser and a Teams client and off you go. But my flip side of that is, yeah, I can do all that. But if I really need to, I can actually do analysis on this device or I can install virtualization on this device and run that Linux app that needs to happen. And that ultimate flexibility of a computer that currently I am able to have all those things in my, in my hands to change and do and modify and take risks on are as, as true now as they were at the beginning of the iPad, but that gulf is just getting further and further apart where it's, it could be, and that's the shame of this. I think the iPad could be such a good device. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think, I think we're largely on the same page here. I think Apple have, I've read, muddied the waters because I think they've hamstrung the iPad a little bit, but equally they may have hamstrung macOS a little bit by not doing touch, not doing pencil, not doing Sailor just seems like a really bizarre one to me because They've got a lot of the ability to do it. And I think Apple struggled because they didn't really invest in the Mac for a long period. We had a very bad period in from about 2016 to 2020, where the, the keyboards were rubbish, the Macs weren't great. They went USB-C probably far too early. And then we've now ended up with a world where they are reinvesting in the Mac. And you could actually see them doing touch screen things on a Mac. And I think they should. I think all like we live in this world. Why can't I touch my big monitor if I, if I want, want to? But I think they've not helped. You know, they've really muddied the waters by underinvesting on the Mac for years, putting loads of engineering effort into the hardware, the iPad, not in the software. And then they've spent loads of engineering effort on the Mac, I think, to bring a lot of like the sandbox in and the security features over, which is great. But they're trying to keep two systems going. Why actually, why don't they bring them together into one? I only use an iPad for work because we can either use iPhones, iPads or Windows. Don't want to use Windows. 
and therefore it's an obvious choice for me. Well, I'll just use an iPad then. Done. If I could have a Mac at work, would I use my iPad as much as I do? Probably not. I'd probably have a Mac and an iPhone, really, because I can do most of my stuff on my Mac. I do like the iPad, though, for the simplicity it, it creates. I, it's not a system I need to look after. I can't really break it. It pretty much always just works for me. And if I lose it or I had to get a replacement like I did this year, I just go and buy a new one. I just log in and it just restores from iCloud. Why doesn't the Mac back up to iCloud? You know, all those things that that Apple have the smarts and the ability to do, they don't let the other platform do it. And it's really bizarre how they do it. And I've got used to having this kind of ephemeral computer. Like I say, let me drive over my phone or my iPad today. I could just go buy a new one. It cost me a lot of money. But it would just work again within probably about two hours and I'll be off to the racing. Whereas my Mac would probably be quite different just because of the way you do back it up. But I quite like that consumable computing because that's where I've got to. I don't fiddle as much as I used to or want to, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I, I think maybe you need to look at the backup strategy of your computer a little bit because I suspect I could be back up and running with a new Mac in about two hours as well. I could have back to that. But it's not just about backup, though, is it? You can, you can script things. There is some stuff in the App Store that you can go off and you can say, right, Microsoft Office, BB Edit, you know, big apps like that that are in the App Store. Who knows how, actually? Apple must have paid them a lot of money to stay in the App Store for all the sandboxing problems and things that, that, that you've talked about. But you can script things from, you know, for, for a Mac, new Mac, install this, and you can write a script to pull all these things back out of services again. So you, it's on you, but I think that comes back to the core beliefs of the platform, whereas this is an open computing, open computer that I can go and do all those things. And if I'm interested enough to to write a script to go go to Microsoft, download this, go to you know, Panic, download that, whatever your suite of apps are, there is a way to restore them quite straightforwardly. Or you could invest in an app like Setup, pay your monthly subscription and just go, yep, new computer, all my data is backed up in iCloud or OneDrive or whatever online system that you've got you're gonna reference back to, and it will just pull all the apps back in that you need. I genuinely, well, I suppose I'm a fairly savvy computer user. I suspect your average man in the street would rather go get an iPad, restore from bang, and as you say, all your apps in then again, apart from the ones you have to sign into again, obviously. But it, it's that difference that I'm I'm experienced enough with using a Mac. I, I, Windows would take me a lot longer. That I could be up and running again in a very short period of time, but not everybody could. Now, it's a fair point you make that I'm I'm on one end of a spectrum, whereas you know for your average user, an iPad does make an awful lot of sense, but it's it's back to the cores of them. As soon as you start pushing outside of the boundaries of an iPad, you need a Mac. There There is no pushing outside the boundaries. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. That was probably my comment around the App Store. And you, you were saying about you could often get GitHub and what have you. I think, for me, the App Store is a bit like iCloud Backup. Anybody can do it. It's really easy. And that's probably why I quite like it. I can just go on the App Store. I can get the app I want. If assuming it exists, whereas if I go off to get GitHub and compile it, I don't really want to be doing that, and most users won't. I think that is the difference. The iPad, you know, you could imagine a world where the iPad could have got to a position where actually for most people, it would do general compute really well for the majority of people. It's got Office on it, it works really well, it can have cellular, and it's not too complicated. And you could see a world actually where the Mac is just the pro, the pro bit of the world maybe. Maybe they shouldn't have done the iPad Pro, but they should have done something like the iPad, bigger, with a keyboard and a mouse. Yeah, this is how we're going to serve our consumers now. And I'm disappointed they've never done a desktop. I would love one. I'd love an Apple TV in this room right here with my camera on it, 
in Apple TV Light Park running iPad OS and make it a proper pro iPad with more RAM in it. But I could have that fix my desk. I wouldn't have to bring my iPad in and out. It would just be here the whole time. Who would love a device like that? Why can't I have it? But equally, and this maybe speaks to Apple's strategy with the iPad overall, you, you could buy one computer that does a family. You know, you can use it for work. The kids can come back and do their homework. You, know, you can't do that with an iPad, really. I mean, you can, but they're all using the same user account. What you want is everybody to have their own device. So you're down for four iPads or something like that. And that's quite a lot of money. You know, so it, it, again, it just comes back to crippling is a very strong word, but choices Apple have made for the directions of these platforms. And I think what you said at the beginning was right. Both platforms have, suffer, have suffered due to decisions made from the other one. The Mac should have cellular. The iPad should be able to install virtual machines so you can do other things. You know, those kinds of obstructive, deliberate choices that they've made around the platforms are hamstringing them. And you see it in the Mac Pro. The Mac Pro is a pointless product. Nobody should buy a Mac Pro just to stick extra sound cards in. You should buy a Mac Studio and get a Thunderbolt dock. End. You know, why spend nine grand or whatever it is on a computer that gives you nothing over what a Mac Studio can give you is completely beyond me. So it, it, the choices they make are odd. We've said before, some of Tim's choices around products that remain in the lineup are baffling. And I think that decision around what's in your product lineup is affecting what's in the software lineup and affects what goes on. Because again, coming back to where I started, I can sell you two iPads for you and your wife as opposed to just one that you can use as a family computer. And that might not suit everybody, but whatever, you're down for 500 quid an iPad, far better. Yeah, and I think, well, that has become the world though. I wonder how many people own a Mac and actually have multiple users on it. How many people just have his and hers, for example, like my, my wife's got a laptop, it is her laptop, none of us use it because it's her, she's got exactly how she wants it. She leaves it where she leaves it and the children haven't run off with it. So I do, do wonder about that, but I do think I think we are saying the same thing. We th I think we're both saying that Apple have hamstrung both platforms ultimately because they're trying to keep both going. Because obviously most people do spend more money because we've both got an iPad and a Mac. We've both, our partners have both got probably laptops or iPads or, or, or Macs. And therefore everybody's buying more kit, which is probably what Apple wants. But is that the right solution longer term? Probably not. Probably not. Is there a world where they merge the iPad and the Mac? That would be quite an interesting world. If my office didn't support, like if we supported uh, Macs, I probably wouldn't have an iPad as much as I do. We would not use it because I literally use my iPad now, not for consumption of media. I literally use it for is I do all my work on it. I use it eight hours a day. It's fantastic. I take it with me. Occasionally, I take it obviously to watch a film on a holiday, but I could do that on my MacBook. And MacBooks have got so much lighter that that you could take your MacBook with you and for consuming media around the house, we've got Apple TVs everywhere because that, that device has got cheaper and has got all the apps on it. So you've got this convergence that you can get everything everywhere now. Yeah, I mean, let's face it, the savior of Apple more than anything else was the was the internet. You know, the internet is the thing that saved Apple. So anyway, I think it's, it's an interesting debate. There's some links in the show notes about other people that have had thoughts around this area and Jason Snell's I don't take two devices anymore is quite telling and touches on what Chris just said there. So yeah, interesting and something we'll return to. And I would hope, let's hope, WWDC next year, we actually get something meaningful for the iPad. That means it's something you can you can consider because I'm not taking two devices anymore. It's I understand why you can just travel with an iPad and I understand you can get your work done and I understand the choices that you've made for that. But if I'm only taking one device, I'm taking my laptop. See, for me, if I'm taking one device, I'm taking my iPad. 
because it's got all my work on it, which is generally why I need to my way. I can easily put movies on it and I can do everything I need to do. Whereas the Mac for me is probably more of my plaything. Whereas it's the other way around for you. The iPad's more of a plaything for you than it than it is for me. But I think I think you and I are largely agreed, even though we're coming up from very different angles. Yeah. That they have to hamstrung the other product stream because they're trying to keep both going and have some separation and differentiation in the products. But it'll be interesting how it plays out. You know, are they going to do a foldable phone? I'd love a foldable phone. I'll buy that today. And does iPad OS start going back to the phone in essence? And does the Mac start getting some things from it? I don't know. It'd be a very radical way for them to go, but equally they could do it. Or, or charge me more money. Give me a one device that runs both Mac and iPad OS. Yeah, go for that. That mythical iPad that you can virtualize and choose it, but what it is with two lightning ports on it, that's an interesting device. You have my attention, Apple. You know, you shut up and take my money, frankly, because I can do what I want to do on it on one device with a touch screen that's got a lovely pixel screen. And this is an interesting thought as well in one of the articles I read. The battery, the disparity now between a Mac's battery and an iPad's battery has only got worse. The battery on this laptop is insane. Whereas if I'm sitting using my iPad intensively, two hours, three hours if I'm lucky. So I'd say more, but it's nowhere near as good as the Mac. It's not the 15 hours I can get from a laptop, though, is it? No, that is bonkers. And the Mac's probably leapfrogged the iPad. Has it learned some things from the iPad? Quite possibly how they do battery management. I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's yeah. They haven't learned anything from it, but have we now reached a point where the iPad no longer makes sense? I think that's the question. Isn't yeah. It? And I'd like to make them relevant. I mean it's a shame because it's a great product. It has the potential no, it has the potential to be a great product. It's a fantastic piece of hardware, as we've said. The hardware is amazing. And what, it doesn't have a fan in it, and it's super fast and cool and instant. It's fantastic, but they've hamstrung it for the wrong reason. Like, why is the camera on the side? Why is there only one USB-C port? It's just some really bizarre decisions. But And we, we probably should include it. There is a rumor about, you know, a bigger iPad coming next year, a bigger 13-inch one that would do more and have an M3 in it. It's going to be super interesting to see where they go, because it is, the Pro line is definitely due a refresh. We've had the same design for five years. Even five years ago, it was overpowered for what you could do with it. So it'll be interesting to see where they go, but I think it's going to move too slowly and we're not going to see the big leaps that Apple should be making with it. I agree. Good. Interesting discussion. Anything else on that? Will we be saying the same in a couple of years' time that the iPhone or the iPad or the Mac has been hamstrung because we've now got Vision as well, you know, the Vision OS and the goggles? Are they just doing too many different OSs, whereas actually they probably need to do some convergence which they are doing a lot with the code, I think, and a lot where they do all the apps on it. You've still got to maintain the OSs, the platforms, the different ways of interacting. And it's going to be interesting to see where Vision OS takes us. I think, and this is just a hot take, Vision OS is too similar to iPad OS and will be hamstrung in the same way. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. Or there isn't enough, yeah, there's not enough separation for it and people can't find a use for it in their life. Yeah. Yeah, it's just another thing because if you want the Mac side of it and they showed it in the demo, you open up the Mac and it pops up on your vision screen. That still means you need a Mac, right? But equally, will the iPad develop from this because the apps running on the vision platform are going to be iPad apps. So actually, will they both get better? Or will we end up with a state where the iPad goes away and becomes vision OS and actually the Mac takes the place of the iPad, which is probably what should happen? Possibly. Anyway, time will tell. Good thought, though. Good. Okay, moving on. I'm, my app of the week, I'm going to try and morph a little bit for the future because I'm running out of apps of the week, but I have got one more for you, and I will tend towards apps of the week where I can. My app of the week this week is called Call Sheet. It's made by one of the developers who features on the ATP Accidental Tech podcast called Casey Liss. 
It's a front end for IMDB, for want of a better word. It uses the IMDB, which is the Internet Movie Database API, so it calls that, but removes all the ads and things like that. You get 20 free searches with it. If you want to look up a thing, as I did earlier, for Women in the Wall, to find an actor really quickly, you can just use it. It's nice and clean. It's very rapid. It's worth trying because it costs you nothing to have your 20 free searches. And if you like it, you can chuck Casey a tenner a year. That's all it is to make use of it. I have chucked Casey my tenner because it's been worth it for the couch surfing emergency thing when I want to look up an actor or the podcasting emergency thing when I want to find out who's in something and I used it literally seconds ago. So it's really valuable. It's worth a go if you've got a phone and you've ever wondered, who's that guy who's in that thing? Call sheet. Yeah, I think this is a good app. I have a couple of bits of feedback. One, I'd love to see the colour change. I don't like the purple colour they have for all the tint. And two, I kind of want a bit more data from Wikipedia brought into the app. Why can't I see, like, I always like to look at the critical response, like, how well did this film do when it came out? What were, you know, what were the ratings? What's the Rotten Tomorrow score? I think there's a bit more there because it's great to look at the cast. If you want to know a bit more about the film, you've got to jump off to other sites. So I'd like to see it sort of munged with more sources, I guess. So you've got a bit of Wikipedia in there and obviously all the content it's got, but it's a good first product. Yeah, I agree. As, as a version one, it's a good release. And who's to say you can't add? I know in the beta, he's talking about integrating a thing called Tracked. So you can install to your Plex server or your Jellyfin server. See earlier shows from us about those things, where things that you watch on that automatically get added into what you've watched, so it knows when you watched it and all that kind of stuff as well, embedded into the app. I think that's quite a good idea. Yeah, that's quite cool. Yeah. Uh, so that's one thing. And, and move it, unless you've got any other thing about call sheet you want to throw in. Nope. Then the other thing is I have bought a new gadget. It's a GL, a GL.net Slate travel router. So it's a tiny little router with two antenna that serves, and I will go into a more heavy review of it when I've used it in a bit more anger because I've only set it up at the moment. Tiny little travel router. It does 5G as well as 2.5G Wi-Fi. You, it can serve in a number of routes, so you can actually plug an Ethernet port into it, a cable into it, and it will just you know spin up its own DHCP server, and you can have a wonderful time with up to 100 clients on a little device. It will do a repeater type mode where it will find Wi-Fi in the room that you're in and you can hive off that and then you've got your own route so you're not surfing your internet activity to the hotel, conference, coffee shop, whatever it is that you're at as part of it. Or you can pair a phone to it and use it as a relay from that. Or you can plug in a USB 3G, 4G, 5G modem into the USB port on the thing. So you have a variety of ways of doing it. That's all quite cool. As part of the software on it, you can define a VPN or multiple VPNs on the software on the device. So the second you connect to hotel Wi-Fi or whatever it is you're at, you can have it connect to your VPN in your house, your VPN for something like Tailscale that I recommended last week, or one of the corporate providers like ExpressVPN or NordVPN, and it will go directly to that as well. It was £77, I think, from the Amazon store that I bought it off. It's so far, I'm really impressed with the functionality of the device. It actually runs a thing called DDWRT, which is an open source firmware that lots of routers use. So it's been audited and, and checked for bugs and isn't reporting back to China and all that good stuff that, that they've checked within that. I just think it's a really clever device that will add a another level of security when you're out in the world. And to be able to go to a hotel, flip this on, not have to pair my phone to some dodgy Wi-Fi in a hotel in any way. All you do is you pair this thing to it and it can handle it and you go straight onto a VPN. I think it's probably quite a good security thing to do. Yeah, just a couple of comments. One, if you buy in the UK on Amazon, you get 15 quid off. So it's 76 pounds minus 15 quid. So 61 pounds, that seems quite good. I guess the other benefit, though, if you pair this to the hotel Wi-Fi and say you're there with your family, I often stay in a family room with my wife and my two children, and all their devices 
it will auto connect to this and you just have set this up once to connect to the the dirty hotel wi-fi shall we say that could be as you say tracking you and what have you so i can see some of the benefit of doing it but half the time i'm staying in my own in a hotel and i've got soda in my ipad so i don't usually bother connecting to the hotel wi-fi unless the signal is horrific yeah so it's not always the way and particularly if you do travel and you go to barcelona for a conference or something like that you're not using your cellular, you're not tethering your phone, and you're not pairing your iPad. So it's good to have this kind of thing in your arsenal of tech gizmos. Yeah, and it looks looks quite small. So I think it looks a great device for the money. It's a lot of device for £60. Moving on to the thing of the week, I thought I'd just cheekily put in my iPad Pro and my Magic Keyboard because as much as I do agree with you that the iPad should do more by now, but I generally love my iPad and my keyboard. I literally use it five days a week to do my job nine ten hours a day i do all my work on it i don't have any other devices i really like it it's because they're sweet on the ipad for me it's very good and i do all my productivity in those apps really so that is my thing of the week bit tongue-in-cheek but i don't disagree it could be better definitely i'm not blind to it but it's the thing i use all the time and i still really enjoy using my ipad and you can play slay the spire and civ 6 on it but not from the steam sale i've actually removed all games from my ipad on my phone because otherwise I just want them for devices. I spend too much time looking at them. I want to be present when I'm watching a film with the kids. I go and have, I have a console now for playing games. Fair enough. Anything else? No, I think that's the end of the show. So if anyone wants to get in contact, Rod is at G5Maniac at Mastodon.scot. I'm at underscore CJP at Mastodon.social. Or you can drop us an email at wait from sleep at protonmail.com. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rod. Mm-hmm.